If you're a fan of the Recruiting Future podcast, then you will absolutely love our newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast. Not only does it give you the inside track on what's coming up on the show, you can also find everything from book recommendations to insightful episodes from the archives and first access to new content that helps you to understand where our industry is heading. Sign up now and also get instant access to the recording of my recent webinar on the future of talent acquisition. Just go to recruitingfuturefeast.com slash webinar. That's recruitingfuturefeast.com slash webinar. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 524 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Many employers have been publicly committing to making DEI their most important focus for several years now. However, as the economy becomes more challenging and some companies roll back from flexible working, is the needle still moving on diversity? And is it still the business priority that we were promised it would be? My guest this week is Michael Barrington-Hibbert, CEO of Barrington-Hibbert Associates and co-founder of 10,000 Black Interns. Michael is an active influencer in driving better diversity and inclusion within the finance sector and instilling a belief in the importance of social mobility. He has some very important advice to share on how employers can keep diversity front and centre by closely aligning their DE&I strategies to critical business goals. Hi, Michael, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. It's a real honour. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Um, Well, thank you so much. My name is Michael Barrington-Hibbert. I am the founder and CEO of Barrington-Hibbert Associates. And there are three components to our business, Matt. So we have executive search. So we work with global organizations across financial, professional services, private equity, family offices to find underrepresented talents. So you may think, what is underrepresented talent? Well, we work with... um, females, we work with people from lower social economic um, backgrounds, but we also work with ethnic minorities to place them into leadership roles. So that's the the cornerstone of our business. The, The second aspect of our business is leadership and development, Matt. So we work with not only leaders of these organizations in terms of coaching and development, we've also done an incredible amount of work in terms of coaching that next generation of going into that next role. And the final component of our business is good old cultural transformation. And that's looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, and more importantly, belonging. Fantastic stuff. So asking everyone who comes on the show at the moment the the same question, and I think that you'll have a really interesting perspective on this. The talent market is pretty unique at the moment. What are you seeing from your perspective? What are the challenges that your clients are are facing in particular? So what is keeping CEOs up at night outside of the geopolitics of the US, the war in Ukraine, is one, wage inflation. We've seen 
um, the greatest war for talent over the last two and a half years since the, the, the pandemic. And it's been the biggest change in the labor market since the industrial revolution. And we've seen a number of organizations, Matt, over hire over the last two and a half years. And then the market now pivoting. So organizations are really looking at their workforce in terms of hybrid working. So uh, a statistic which I think is absolutely incredible, at the start of the pandemic with hybrid and flexible working, the labor market became more diverse. We saw more home carers coming in back into the workforce. We saw more females coming back into the workforce. And we actually saw more ethnic minorities coming into the workforce because of flexible working. Now, the market has now changed. Organizations are now saying, we want you back into work three, four, five days a week. And what we've now seen this year alone, Matt, we've lost 500,000 people out of the economy who sit within those underrepresented groups. So CEOs right now are really looking at how can we be agile? How can we be flexible? But how can we also maintain a diverse workforce at the moment? So I think at the moment, diversity of workforce. I think around wage inflation is another aspect, as I mentioned before, but also statistically, the labor market is still active. It's not as hot as it was 12 months ago, but there is a recognition that there are two candidates for one open vacancy. So I think it's a case of organizations really understanding how they can attract and retain talent in a really tight labor market. I think that's really interesting statistics there. And around the DNI aspect of that, I mean, it's something that employers have been citing as their key priority for a very long time, particularly for the last sort of two or three years. But it seems that actually some of the things that they're doing are working against that. I mean, is the needle still moving or is progress stalling or is nothing you know, is nothing moving forward? Look, f- first things first, um, I-, I was speaking to a-, a CEO about this last night. So I think it's really important to, to recognise that I believe uh, uh, there has been some very good work done over the last three or four years. So I'm the co-founder of 10,000 Black Interns, and that was founded in the summer of 2020 in order to diversify the initially the, the investment management industry, because after the murder of George Floyd, myself and my colleagues, my other co-founders, wanted to organize a, a breakfast meeting with black portfolio managers who run money. And to provide some context to your listeners, those are those are pension funds. So when, when you're working, your pension is deployed to portfolio managers to make sure there's a return. So when you retire, you can be, be able to re- receive that on a monthly basis. So out of thousands, and I mean thousands of portfolio managers across the United Kingdom, I think statistically there's circa 9,000, we couldn't find more than 12 black portfolio managers running money in the United Kingdom. And that is a frightening statistic, Matt. So as a consequence, we we realized that what we needed to do is create pipeline. 
So that was the genesis of 10,000 black interns. And initially it was called 100 black interns. It's grown to 10,000. And the initiative is very much focused around opportunities, but also giving interns paid opportunities. Because we, we've seen statistically over the last 10 years in some sectors like media, advertising, sometimes even the law profession, internships sometimes will be unpaid. And for people from lower social economic backgrounds, that's just too far out of reach. So I think it's a case of um, organizations and the United Kingdom have done a really good job of diversifying their graduate intake. Now, that's that's great, but what else is happening from a lateral point of view? Are there role models? Because the challenge that we've seen over the last five to 10 years, Matt, is organizations are doing a great job of attracting people from low social economic backgrounds, diverse talent. However, the statistics are that people from ethnic minority backgrounds, and this is maybe within financial services, so it's not broadly across the United Kingdom, by and large, 40% fall out of financial and professional services firms within three years. By five years, that number is close to 70%. So where can you actually build that pipeline? So I think that the, 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 the UK as a whole has really embraced internships. I, I think in terms of UK as a whole have, have embraced returners and, and worked around gender. But I think there's also a lot of work to do because I think a number of your listeners will work at organizations which over the pandemic, so I think financial services firms, professional services, law have done exceptionally well over the last two or three years and have made some big commitments to shareholders, to the industry around diversifying their workforce. And it's really easy to make commitments when your revenues are going through the roof and you're, you're making profits quarter after quarter. However, with the mini budget which happened towards the end of last year, the volatility in the markets, the rise in interest rates, the redundancies in big tech, the other cuts taking place within financial services, it then puts a real strain, Matt, a real strain on some of the incredible work that some of these DNI HR practitioners have done over the last two or three years because budgets are being cut. And a number of organizations have, and I gave you the stat earlier, Matt, around over the last two and a half years that the workforce has become more diverse. Because hybrid working has been cut, because we're starting to see more redundancies, in many respects, it's last one in, first one out. And the stat that I gave you is that 500,000 people from underrepresented groups have now been lost within organizations in terms of that workforce. So I think it's, it's very much a case of there's still a lot of work to be done. But we also need to recognize that organizations have really started to lean in. But like anything, cultural change doesn't happen within 24 hours or 24 weeks. It's a gradual process. It takes time. You're such a strong advocate for social mobility in the, in the work that you do. And we're obviously at this point where it's becoming 
as, as you say, tougher for the people trying to move the needle within companies. What would your advice be to employers? How should they be thinking? What should they be doing to kind of build on the work that's been done rather than losing all their progress? So with with gender, with ethnic minorities, I think organisations have have listened. They've learned. But it's now really a case of putting together a cohesive strategy and really drive it from the top. Because like with, with any cultural change, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it with, you know, I'm, I'm a massive sports fan. I, um, I'm not a Man United fan, but you, you, you look at Sir Alex Ferguson when he left Man United, he, he drove the culture, the winning culture of that organization from the top right down to the bottom to the tea lady. They, they were all very clear of what their mission was. And then you had a period of seven or eight years since he's retired where there's been different philosophies. So it, it really much um, starts from the top. But also what that leader needs to do is be able to give agency and support to their leadership team. Now, I think what's really important, and your listeners are, are hugely educated around this particular topic, but we need to give agency to middle managers because it's really easy for the top of the house, Matt, to say, hey, we're going to do this, okay? And I'm sure you've seen that FTSE um, CEO salary have gone up by 25%. So it's very easy for FTSE CEOs who are getting paid millions of pounds to make these decisions. But what about that middle manager? What about that middle manager who doesn't necessarily have agency and is thinking to themselves, okay, well, I'm a white man and you're going to over-index and focus on women, you're going to over-index and focus on minor- minorities. What about me? And it doesn't mean these people are discriminating against others, but what leaders need to do is really incorporate the business case of having more of a diverse workforce. It's not a zero-sum game. It doesn't mean that white male, because they have more diverse talent in the organization, is going to be preventative, it's actually going to provide more of an opportunity for that person to grow. So the business case is clear. McKinsey mentioned that more diverse teams um, are more profitable than non-diverse teams. So I think leaders need to be able to empower middle management. Um, They need to be able to give training, development, but more importantly, support around the business case. So I think really from that standpoint, it's around advocacy, it's around clear messaging, but it's also around giving middle managers um, empowerment, education, and support in terms of why having a diverse workforce is part of the organization's strategy to be more global or to be the number one whiskey distiller globally to understand what the the growing Chinese economy looks like. So I think from that standpoint, once leaders can really articulate the business case, the social impact that it actually does, and actually provides more creativity, diverse ideas, that's where it makes it more sustainable in terms of future opportunities for that organization to change. 
A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi everyone, I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. It's very clear that that, that has to be the way forward. Just diving down briefly into the specifics of recruiting when it comes to building up that diverse workforce. Bias in the recruitment process is is well documented. How can employers reduce that? Is, is that something that technology can help with? What's your sort of view on reducing bias, whether it's unconscious bias or conscious bias? As I mentioned previously, and the reason why I pause there, Matt, is it, it's very much a case of everyone has bias. Um, I'm an Ipswich Town fan for my sins. I know if I get a CV sent to me when I'm looking to hire um, and I see another Ipswich Town fan or someone who lives in my area, I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about the glory days of the 1970s. So I think it's really important that people recognise that we all have biases in the process. But again, this is why I mentioned this uh, Alex Ferguson metaphor is that being super intentional in terms of the direction of the company will help reduce the bias in terms of the business case. Now, I think technology absolutely has a critical place to play. So I have personally um, invested in a company called Equitas, um, and they are an inclusive interview intelligence software designed for fair hiring and helping companies build diverse teams. So let's go back to the, the, the middle management the frozen middle, who are <laughs> who are basically got the, the world on their shoulders because they are being told you need to work more, you've got less resources, you've got to hire more diverse talent, but are organisations coaching the middle management in terms of what to do? So when I look at Equitas, what it does, it, it strips out bias from the, the interview process, where it's very much a case of looking at standardized questions where you have to score them. So again, what that does, it allows organizations to, to hire based off um, the outputs which come off that report. But there's also been some fantastic case studies. So I was on a, a, an interview panel um with the founder of Timpsons, um, um, I think his name's um, John John Timpson, um, and John has a really innovative policy when it comes to hiring. He has a long-standing relationship of actually hiring um, ex-offenders. 
Um, and the statistics are pretty frightening in terms of 90% of um, ex-offenders, when they come out um, and don't have unemployment, re-offend. And John was explaining to me that his son was doing a, uh, a tour of a prison and started speaking to uh, a gentleman called Matt, who was an inmate, and really connected with him. And John's son said, look, when you come out, it was a non-violent offence, but when you come out, give me a call and I'll give you a job. And what um, Timpsons have done as a consequence of that, they've been able to hire, I think, over 500 um, ex-offenders into their stores. Um, There's just some really brave organisations, Matt, who have been innovative, who have, I don't want to say taken a chance, but really sort of lent in to try and ensure that the UK economy is more inclusive by incorporating ex-offenders, incorporating people from low social economic backgrounds. So I think just going back to your original point, it's a combination of technology, for sure, but also it's a case of the leaders being braver um, in order to make decisions which will help, again, in my view, the UK economy to, to be the, 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 the driving force globally that it was a number of years ago. Final question, looking to the to the future, what do you think the next few years will look like? I mean, what would you what would you hope will happen from a talent acquisition and just sort of general talent perspective? The world of work is 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 changing at pace. I mentioned at the top of the interview that could could you imagine just going back, Matt, to twenty twenty, that people would be hired without actually meeting anyone in terms of physically. Um, it's mind-blowing. It was, it was mind-blowing for me to think that organisations would hire just based on the Zoom call. But it's happened. It's now become, I'm speaking to you, I'm in London, you're in Edinburgh. Um, you know, the, the, the development of technology has been absolutely a game-changer when it comes to talent acquisition. I also think more importantly, during this period, we have had the biggest shift in the job market since the Industrial Revolution. We've had greater mobility and diversity come into the workforce. There are jobs which are going to be established in the next five years that we just didn't fathom were going to exist. So when I look at the future of, the, of, of talent acquisition, I'm excited I think there's going to be uh, an increased reliant on technology, but also more importantly to to your listeners, they've got such a, a critical path to play too. The, the main takeaways that I would really want your listeners to, to, to take from this podcast, Matt, are to be empowered to speak to leadership around how they can diversify um, their pipeline of talent is also a case of embracing technology. What is the culture of the organization? And I think what's a, a really interesting statistic, LinkedIn um, um, put a, a stat out there, a bit of research that 90% of graduates, okay, in the United Kingdom, when they are looking at their employers, they're looking at culture as the main reason of joining the organization. And I think remuneration 
was the fourth least important factor. So if you work within talent acquisition and you cannot articulate the culture of the organization, if you cannot provide um, role models around diversity, equity, inclusion, you are going to miss out on potentially one of the most resilient groups of graduates and non-graduates, by the way, coming into the workforce because a number of these these young people had to do their A-levels, GCSEs, and part of their degrees, a large portion of their degrees in isolation. So if you haven't got that narrative around culture, belonging, neurodiversity, whatever it may be, you're potentially going to miss out on the best, most resilient um, young people coming into the industry. So those for me, if you, you know, it's around technology, it's around starting from the top, but I think the most important aspect, Matt, would be around culture. Michael, thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure. My thanks to Michael. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.